to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. I want you to turn to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah chapter 8. And for these last several weeks, it has been very clear that I have been preaching what we call evangelistically. And by that, I mean I have been on a mission to win souls. I've been on a mission to, to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ so that sinful people could be saved and transformed and backsliders could come home and their lives be changed. And it's just been awesome. Uh, I, I, we give God all the glory, but if it's not every Sunday, it's been nearly every Sunday in July and August, somebody either was saved or came back to Christ in the last two months. And I want you to give God praise because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And uh, we had one Sunday where uh, 15, I thought it was 12, I was told I missed three people, 15 people came to the altar one Sunday and gave their lives either to the Lord or back to the Lord. So God is moving, and as I shared already in the first service, somebody came to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they they came in a sinner, and they walked out a saint. Isn't that powerful? Through the saving power of Jesus Christ. And so today, again, I'm being very transparent with you. I'm going to preach very evangelistically. I'm going to preach a very sobering message. Uh, uh, So you just need to know that. I'm going to tell you up front so that you're aware. And so if it gets quiet, it's not going to bother me. But uh, the main thing is I want to talk today about running out of time. Running out of time. So let's read Jeremiah chapter 8, beginning at verse 14. Why do we sit still? Assemble yourselves and let us enter the fortified cities and let us be silent there. For the Lord our God has put us to silence and given us water of gall to drink because we have sinned, look at this, because we have sinned against the Lord. We looked for peace, but no good came. For a time of health and instead there was trouble. The snorting of his horses were heard from Dan. That Dan's the the northernmost city at that time in Israel. So there's an army coming from the north. The snorting of his horses was heard from Dan. And the whole land trembled at the sound of the neighing of his strong ones. For they have come and devoured the land and all that is in it, the city and those who dwell in it. Then it's God speaking. For behold, I will send serpents among you, vipers, which cannot be charmed, and they shall bite you, says the Lord. And Jeremiah said, I would comfort myself in sorrow. My heart is faint in me. Listen, the voice, the cry of the daughter of my people from a far country. Is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in her? And then God speaks, why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images? With foreign idols. Notice that. Why have they provoked me with carved images and foreign idols? And then please note verse 20. It is the text that I will preach today. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are not saved. You can be seated. Running out of time. I, uh, I, I recently got my real ID. You know you're supposed to go get your real ID. If you haven't done that yet, it's a bit of a process, but you need to do that. You've got a deadline coming up. If I remember, it's October. It might be October 1st. I don't know. But you're supposed to go get your real ID. Somebody said, about what? 
get it, idea about, anyway, never mind. And so I talked to my wife, and I said, Leah, you need to go get your real ID. She said, I work, I'm busy, but I'll try to work it in. And for months, I kept writing her and writing her, you need to go get that, because if you wait, everybody's going to be rushing in to get it. You need to go get it. And I just, and finally September got here in the middle of September, and I looked at her, I said, Leah, you better make an appointment and go to the DMV because you're running out of time. And she did. She made an appointment, went and took care of it, and got a real ID. The reason that I tell you that is because this whole thing that we read right here, this text, is about running out of time. And Israel uh, is being spoken to, obviously, the people of God. They're supposed to be the people of God. They're really the people of God in name only. And God is trying to speak to them and deal with them. Now, before I get to the text, I'm going to just tell you what's happening in Israel during this time so that you will better understand what we've read. Because sometimes when you read the Old Testament, you, you just don't get it. There's, there are a lot of details there that you miss. So let me tell you three specific things that we're aware of that were important involving the Jewish people during this time. So let me, just, let me just talk about this. Number one, Judah was in a horrible spiritual state. In a horrible spiritual state. Idolatry and pagan worship were rampant in Israel. Fertility cults with their practice of prostitution were actually tolerated in the temple precinct. Offerings to astral deities were offered in the streets. Child sacrifices were practiced actually in the capital city. It was horrible. It was blatant. It was open pagan idolatry. Jeremiah says in one verse that the false gods were as numerous as the cities in Judah and as the altars of the false gods were as numerous as the streets in the city of Jerusalem. Could you imagine? I mean, that just means there's so many of them, they can't count them. Now, it wasn't always like this. At one time, Israel served the Lord, obeyed the law of God, did what was right. One time, they would not tolerate the worship of false gods. They served God and God only. But something happened. Over time, they turned their backs on God. And I mean, got to a really bad place. And the reason I tell you this is because this same thing can happen to God's people today. Maybe it's happened to you. Maybe at one time you served the Lord, you served Jesus, you obeyed God. Maybe at one time you hated sin. You always did the right thing. But then something happened. You stopped fighting the devil and you stopped, stopped resisting the influence of the world. And instead you started listening to the devil and you started giving in to the influence and sway of the world. And over time you made wrong choices and you caved in and you let go of God. And by the way, here's a side note. Israel forsook God when they were led by wicked kings and when the spiritual leaders, the prophets and the priests, failed to lead. Let me just say that again. When they had wicked kings in leadership and when, that's the government, and when they had the spiritual leaders failing to do what they're supposed to be doing, the nation plunged into sin. And the reason I tell you that is because I think there's something we need to re realize. When you have a government that legalizes immorality but punishes the righteous, that nation is going to plunge into sin. Now, I, I will be honest with you. When I read this, I thought about our, our wonderful country, the United States of America. 
I started making correlations. And, and I don't care whether you're Democrat or Republican. I'm not here to talk about parties. That's not what I'm here. But what I am going to say is when, when, when you have a government, and it's been going on with the United States for years now, that has no problem with legalizing immorality, but they will buck, fight, and resist if the church tries to say, well, how about we legalize some morality? They pitch a fit. When that happens, your nation is going to plunge into sin. The Bible says, happy or blessed are the people whose God is the Lord, but God is not our Lord in America. We have a problem. And let me tell you this. When you have preachers and pastors who care more about pleasing the crowd than they do preaching the gospel, your church is going to plunge into sin. And, and, and I, I, I want to tell you right now, God didn't call me to, to preach to please a crowd. That's not how it works. God called me to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. God called me to preach the whole unadulterated word. Sometimes I preach things that makes people nervous. Sometimes I preach things that makes people uncomfortable. Sometimes I, make, I, I preach things that make people look at their watch and say, I wish he'd hurry up so I could get out of here because I don't like this. But I don't preach to be mean and I don't preach to be unkind. I just preach the word of God. And as my father-in-law has said, if the shoe fits, baby, you're just going to have to wear it. I preach the gospel that will set you free. I preach the truth that will set you free. And when you preach to please the crowd, sin will be rampant in your church. And people won't live for the Lord. And let me just say this. Often people turn from God because they are influenced, not just by the government, but by sinful people and sinful friends and sinful coworkers. And they also turn from God because of the failure of pastors and preachers and parents to have some kind of godly influence in their life. And so I just want to say this to the church. Church, this is not the time for us to stick our head in the sand. And this is not the time for us to go undercover. As much as there are, there are strong forces in this nation that want to shut us down and shut us up, you cannot shut up the body of Jesus Christ. You cannot shut up the church of the living God. They can try. They tried to do it in China and pushed it underground, and it just thrived and grew beyond anything they ever knew. You don't, you don't have to have the approval of the government for the church to do what the church is supposed to do. And if there's ever a time that we need to stand up and be light and salt, it is in this day and time. And we may not be able to influence New York City and Chicago and L.A. and God help them in Seattle and Portland, but there are enough prostitutes and adulterers and drug addicts and drug dealers and alcoholics right here in Anderson, South Carolina. We need to share Jesus. We need to shine Jesus. And we need to have an impact on our society. God has called the church and the gospel to be the hope of the world. And we, what we do is we point them back to Jesus. So Israel was in a bad state. Now, here's another dynamic that I want you to know about because it comes into play. Israel started having these series of wicked kings. But there was in the midst of them, between two wicked kings, a good king named Josiah. And Josiah tried to initiate religious reforms in Israel. And that was a good thing. He tried. He eradicated idolatry in Israel. He destroyed all the altars. He eliminated all the priests to the false gods. He restored the temple and the temple worship and the sacrifices. He emphasized the word of God. The law of God was taught to the people. And you would read that and think, all right, we've got to turn around now. The people of God are going to come back and Israel is going to get back to where they're supposed to be. Nope, didn't work at all. 
did never happen. And here's why. Outwardly, the nation conformed to the commands of the king. But inwardly, nothing changed. They, they still loved their corrupt ways. It was, it, was, it was just a show. So what do you do when you want to be a sinner but simultaneously make people think that you're right with God? What do you do? I'll tell you what you do. You cover it up with a good dose of religion. That's what you do. So that's exactly what Israel did. They went to the temple regularly. They worshiped God. They offered their sacrifices. They listened to the law of God as it was taught to them. But it was all a charade. They were simply going through the motions. They still rejected God. They still forsook the law of God. They still remained stubborn in their sinful ways. My son preached a powerful message last week, didn't he? Powerful message from the book of Hosea. And as I was preparing this week, I told him, I said, Evan, I'm going to preach different but similar to you. As a matter of fact, he made reference to this, and I'm going to make reference to it again. The Bible speaks of having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. In other words, you can look godly, but there's no power in your life. Because if the power's there, you're not just going to look it, you're going to live it. The power of God will help you to live above sin. Now, I'm having the same thing happen in this service as I did in the first service. I've got people on my mind right now. That's not good. I'm thinking of some people right now that they want you to think, I know them, they live here in Anderson, by the way. They're not here in this church, so don't anybody freak out. But, but they, they, they want you to think that they're holy. They want you to think they're godly people. They want you to think they're praying people and they're people of faith. I know these people. It's a good thing our minds don't connect like Apple TV and it was showing up on the screen right now. I'm really kind of relieved. But, but these people, I know these people, and they would, but if you get around them, they're some of the meanest, vicious, hypocritical people. They're, they're modern-day Pharisees. They are. They've attacked me. They've tried to talk people out of coming to this church. They even told people I was a liar one time. Last time I checked, I think that's slander, isn't it? Being liable, something like that. But, but there are people like that, you see. They go to church. They become members of churches. They have the form of godliness, but they don't have the power. They're just still wicked, sinful people. And so you need to listen to me. You can go to church each week. You can own a Bible. You can be a church member. You can volunteer. But if you're not saved, you're just going through the motions. There have been plenty of people who've had a superficial experience with God. Nothing changed. Listen to me. External reformation is not the same as internal transformation through the saving power of Jesus Christ. It's not the same. I mean, just because it's different on the outside doesn't mean that it's different on the inside. But I will say this. When you've been changed on the inside... It'll show on the outside. It'll be real. When, I just want to talk about Jesus for a minute. When Jesus saves you, he changes you. That's pretty pitiful in a Pentecostal church, but I told you you were going to get quiet on me. So that was one of those times you could amen me. I had you real sober and quiet. But let me just say it again. When Jesus changes you or saves you, he changes you. He does, doesn't he? How many of you remember how you used to be before God saved you? Aren't you glad you're not that person anymore? The Bible says old things pass away and everything becomes new. 
When you get saved, your soul is purged of sin and it's filled with the Holy Spirit. When you get saved, your heart turns toward God and the things of God and you live right. When you get saved, your desire is to bring glory and honor to the one who has set you free. That I'm not a prisoner anymore. Like we sang. That's what happens in your life when God saves you. He changes you. And so Jesus said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I want to tell you today, Jesus did not suffer and die merely to locate sinners. He suffered and died to save sinners. He just—he he knows where you are. He, he's located you. He comes to seek you, but he also comes to save you and to change your life. It's, it, you know, if I'm, I got lost in the woods one time. I've told this story before, deer hunting, and we finally got some people that found us. But just because they found us, that still didn't help us. They needed to save us. If they'd have just said, called us and said, we know where you are, but we're going, it's midnight, we're going back home, see ya. We found you. You're not lost, we found you. Well, just because you found me, I'm still lost. Right? I said, shine a light, beep the horn, honk the, yell, do something. And they did. And, I've, and, and this thing is, I found that, you know, sometimes what's got to happen is Jesus got to find you, then you got to find Jesus. Jesus locates you, but you got to locate Jesus. If you turn your back on him, shrug your shoulder and say, leave me alone, he'll say, okay, I'll leave you alone. I know where you are, but I can't save you. I've told you many times, I was a lifeguard, and you swim out to save somebody's a lifeguard, you come up behind them, there are these moves you do, and put your arm under, but if they start fighting you and thrashing, you know what we're taught to do, you push off and back off, and I just tread water, and they're saying, save me, and I'm saying, oh no, I'm not, until you let me save you, you're going to take us both under, and we're both going to drown, so until you cooperate, you just stay there and keep taking water, when you take enough water, I'll get you out, which one, which one will it be? I'll do it, I'll do it. And then I come back and do it again, and then they'll work with you. That's what you're taught as a lifeguard. No different with Jesus. You fight Jesus, and Jesus will just back off and tread water and say, tell me when you're ready. Because I'm ready, but I'm not going to fight you. This is good preaching right here. I don't care what anybody thinks. I didn't even preach this this morning in the first service. I'm, just, I'm in the flow right now. Hallelujah. I don't even know where I'm at. So, the spiritual state of Israel was horrible. They had a good king who was trying, but it was too late. Made some reforms, but nothing was happening in here. And here's the third thing. The Babylonian Empire was on the rise. Now, I know this sounds like a history lesson, but it's really, really important. The Assyrian Empire had dominated the Middle East up to this time, but it was in decline. And the Babylonian Empire was on the rise, and it was taking over. Now, why is this important? Because God would use the Babylonians and the Babylonian army to ultimately bring judgment on sinful Israel. See, they wouldn't repent. So God said, well, then I've got to punish you. And that's exactly what happened. You know, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, you remember those stories? That was the Babylonian captivity. And so he warned them of the coming judgment time and time again through the prophets. But Israel would just not listen. They must, now listen, this is so important. They had, they had opportunities repeatedly to repent, but they chose to persist in their sins. And let me tell you why, and I want you to hear this. And, and I, I have this word play on purpose, so listen to me. Here's what they thought. They, they mistakenly convinced themselves that the religion of their God 
would save them from the God of their religion. Do I need to say that again? They thought the religion of their God would save them from the God of their religion. In other words, they said, well, if I just go to church, go to the temple, do all the religious things that God says to do, then God will, God will give me a pass. It doesn't matter whether I'm right or not. It doesn't matter if I'm sinning or not. Just as long as I'm doing the religious things that God says to do, well, God said, well, you know, really, I want you to get right with me first, then do those religious things. You got it out of order. As long as they went to church, God would not punish them, but they were wrong. So I went and I did a chronological study. It was amazing. When Jeremiah was speaking these words, within 30 years, the Babylonians came and destroyed the temple and destroyed Jerusalem. And thousands were killed and carried away into captivity, never to see their homes again. Listen, don't fool yourself into thinking that God will wink his eye at your sins and let them slide just because you attend church or do religious things. If you are not saved, you are under divine condemnation right now and you are destined for divine judgment. I think this is so important because we live in the Bible Belt. We have people watching our, 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 our podcast, this, this broadcast all over the country. California, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, we got it from everywhere. But they know where we are. We're in the Bible Belt. And down here in the Bible Belt, everybody's saved. Everybody goes to church. Everybody's a Christian. You know, we're not Muslims, we're not Buddhists, we're Christians. You know, everybody's a Christian. And you've got people down here that have the religion of their God, but they don't have the God of their religion. You work with them, don't you? Some of them are your family members and neighbors. They cuss like a sailor. They, they're mean. They do sinful things, but they go to church on Sunday. They're members of the church. They'll tell you they got saved when they were five. No, no, never mind if they're heathens. They got saved when they were five. Got baptized when I was seven. Water baptized when I was seven. Joined the church. Preacher, the preacher met me at the altar. We go, we go to church every Sunday as a family and go to mom and them's. Still trying to figure out who them are. You see, the, you see the mindset? And they just think everything's good because they got the religion of their God, but they don't know the God of their religion. The Bible says the soul who sins shall surely die. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Jesus himself said that unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Death is separation. And judgment for sins means eternal separation from God in a devil's hell. Isn't it amazing that you rarely hear a preacher preach about hell anymore? But it's in the Bible. Jesus talked about it. Do you notice that you don't have very many of these mega church big pastors preaching on hell? You ever notice that? You just don't hardly ever, I, I, I can only think of one guy, and it's been years ago that I heard preach one of the greatest messages I ever heard on hell, and he preached like he didn't want anybody to go there. 
He almost cried through the whole thing. It was one of the most powerful, moving messages. But you can't win a crowd, and you can't get your people to send in money. And my God, I've got into something now, haven't I? Can't get people to send in money and donations when you're preaching about judgment and hell. You got to preach feel-good messages and about self-improvement. But I'm here to tell you, sometimes you just need to preach the fact that if you stay in your sins, you're going to pay a price, and it's a horrible price, and that's eternally separation separated from God. That's a horrible thing, but it must be preached. And I'm sorry I'm not in a popularity contest anyway. Let me tell you some things about hell. Even though we don't preach it, some people don't believe in it. There might be people, I don't believe in hell. Well, that doesn't negate its reality. There's some people think the world's still flat. Some people think we never went to the moon. That doesn't negate its reality. So let me tell you three things about hell. Number one, everybody knows this. Hell is a place of indescribable torment. The pain, the anguish of hell, and it never stops, ever stops for all of eternity. That in itself ought to just terrify you. But here's the second thing about hell. You'll never feel the presence of God again. Do you know why sinners particularly and backsliders love to come to Pentecostal churches? Because they love this music. They love what they feel when we sing. Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? There's no dead mighty fortresses our God going on in here. I mean, it's, it's moving. It's, it's happening. It's going. And it's anointed. Whether it's fast or slow, it's anointed. They love it. You can get a, you can get a homosexual. You can get an adulterer. You can get a, you can get a drug addict. But they'll come to church. They're living sin, bound in sin. But they'll come to a Pentecostal church, sit back there, and they'll smile. They'll clap. They might even sing the words because they like it. They like the energy. They like what they feel in here. You'll even get a sinner. I, don't, I have never understood how a church like this, me preaching messages like this, how anybody could sit Sunday after Sunday after Sunday through services like we have and hear the gospel and never come to the altar and get saved. You know, I have had members of this church, they slipped in as members, who I found out later weren't, weren't right with God and for years, years came to church. Sunday after Sunday, felt the convicting power of the Holy Ghost, never got saved. I can't understand that. But you know what it is? They even like conviction. Because at least when you're convicted, God's touching your soul. But you hear me. When you die and go to hell, no more tingles, no more goosebumps, no more Pentecostal music, and you won't even have conviction anymore. Why do you need conviction when the penalty and judgment has been passed? We call people in prison convicts. And I understand that because they got convicted in a court. But what happened in court was conviction. What happened in the prison is the final punishment. No more conviction in, in hell ever again. I know this is sobering. I know it's quiet in here. It's probably quiet at home. But let me tell you the third thing about hell. Hell is a place where you'll, you will live with an eternity of regrets. An eternity of regrets. People in hell will say, why didn't I get saved? Why didn't I get saved? Why didn't I go to the altar when Pastor Chris gave those invitations? I could be in heaven right now. I could be glorified right now. I could be enjoying a place in the Father's house at this moment. 
I, I could not be having this pain and torment. I could be happy and singing, and I could be with my family. And, and I, why didn't I reject sin? Why, why did I listen to my sinful friends? Why did I allow the world to entice me? Regrets. Why, why didn't I make a total commitment to Jesus? Why didn't I just do it? I knew better. Why did I listen to that liberal college professor when I was in school? Why did I play games with God? That's hell. And the thing is, you can't do a thing about them. Right now, you can. Right now, you can. But when you get to hell, you can't do a thing about it. I close this sobering message with verse 20. The harvest is past. The summer is ended, and we are not saved. The grain harvest came between April and June, and the crops had to be harvested when they were ripe. And it's, what's true then is still true today. If you wait too long, then the crops will be overripe and be wasted. So this saying in the Bible, the, this, the harvest has ended, the, summer, the harvest has passed, the summer is ended, there's a limited window of opportunity. You know, season is a, a summer is a specific season of the year, and summer is designed for reaping crops. I've had gardens. I grew up in Pennsylvania around farmers, and, I, and my mom and dad had a garden. Lee and I had a garden for several years. So I understand sowing and reaping, you know, and harvesting. And so summer, you plant in the spring. And, and if you're smart, you wait till after Easter. And all the folks who are veterans say, Amen. If you're smart, you wait after, but, but you plant in the spring, and then the crops grow in the spring, and then it's, it's in the summer that you get to harvest the crops. And, and you know I'm picky. If you don't know that, I'm picky. I don't like tomatoes. I don't like onions. God put them in the ground on purpose. We should leave them there. Don't dig them up. Somebody said, what about potatoes? That's different. Don't ask me why. It's just, it is. So I'm picky. So in our garden, our simple little garden, we had three crops. We had green beans. We had runners. We had squash. I'll be honest. Y'all hear me talk about another one, but I think I like fried squash more than anything. And then we had a third one. Y'all know what it is, don't you? What was it? Yeah, okra. Yeah, for those of you watching, okra. I've talked about okra for 21 years. And so we'd have okra. Now, we would plant that. And I would, once it started put, putting out, I'd go out there, oh, every day. I'd be picking beans off, green beans. And I, my grandfather, my papa also star taught me how to do a garden, and it is an unbelievable garden. Those runners were put out three and four times. I mean, man, it put out the green beans. We were, we were up to our ears in green beans. I gave away more food. We'd get those fresh green beans. I'd go out and cut those, those squash gourds, and we'd take them in. I'd say, we'd cut them. I said, Leah, fry this stuff. Put some grease in the pan, flour that stuff. Salt and pepper it, and th oh, man, did we eat good. And then we'd get that okra and cut it off. And you can't, listen, let me give you all a secret. You don't let the okra pods grow too big. You got to get them when they're small, okay? If they get too big, they get too thick, and they're no good. You got, see, I know about all this. Y'all don't, don't know your pastor knows about all this stuff. We'd cut that okra stalks and pods, and we'd cut it up. I said, Leah, fry this stuff. Oh, you burn it. You got to burn it. Just burn it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Don't literally burn it, but almost burn it. Okay, so we, but I'd go out there, and I'd go, I'd go to the garden. And, and then as we get towards the end of summer, I noticed that things were starting to slow down. 
And then I'd go out. I never, never, never forgot. It always happened. I'd go out one day to look. I had harvested all the green beans. And I went back out to look. And there weren't any green beans anymore. So I looked down at the, the vines. And there, there were no squash growing. There were plenty of leaves. But no plants. Or fruit, rather. Except the okra. And the okra will grow till it freezes. You have a frost. And once you have that frost, it's done. So I'd go out and I'd keep getting okra until the first frost. And then I'd go out to that garden to look. And it was done. Now listen to me. What is, what is true in the natural segues to what is true in the spiritual. What the Bible is trying to say to us, what I'm trying to say to us today, is that if you are in sin... God will do everything he can to reach you. He's already done everything he could through Jesus Christ to save you. But if you don't get saved, there is judgment coming. But you don't have to face that judgment. Jesus took the penalty for your sins. His judgment, the judgments on you, has already been placed on him. If you'll just appropriate what he's done to your life and believe on him, God will save you. But there's a, a limited opportunity. The window is only open for so long. I preached a message a few weeks ago, a very sobering message. One more chance. One more chance. And this sermon is very similar. This message is very similar that, that there's a limited window of opportunity, and I don't know what that is. You could leave here today, and you might live for another 10 years. You may leave here today, and it may be 10 minutes. You could have a heart attack. A blood clot could go to your brain. Somebody might swerve across the double lines and hit you head on, God forbid, and you have to go into eternity to meet God. We're not promised tomorrow. The point is, you've come to church. You've heard the gospel time and time and time and time again. And yet you're still not saved. I just came here today to tell you, that's reality. But you can do something about it. One more time you've heard the gospel preached. One more time you've seen the ugly truth of the law but the beauty of God's grace. One more time God's given you a chance. The question is, what are you going to do? I want you to stand with me. space for you to come and have your way. I'm open. I'm open. My heart is an open space for you to come have your way. I'm open. I'm that's what you got to say to the Lord. My heart is an open space for you to come and have your way. I'm open, Jesus. I'm open. Come on, one more time. Help me, y'all. My heart is an open space for you to come and have your way. 
our hearts broken today. I'm sorry. I, I don't apologize. I just, I just want to see people find Jesus. I made up my mind a number of years ago now. I was just going to pursue and fulfill the Great Commission. That's all I care about. I just want to believe. All, all I want to do is pastor a church full of people. And I do thank God for you that just wants to pursue and fulfill the Great Commission. I'll be honest with you, a few years ago, I just got so stinking, sick and tired of just stinking churchy people and inward focus and nobody cared about souls and all they cared about was their songs and boom chick, boom chick, boom chick. I got so sick and tired of it. I'm just being honest. I'm being vulnerable right now. I just, I just, all I wanted, I just wanted a church where people said, I want to get saved. And when I get saved, I want to go see my wife or husband get saved. I want to see my kids get saved. I want my mom and daddy to get saved. I want my cousin to get saved. I want my friend to get saved. I want my co-workers to know Jesus, Pastor. That's what I want. That's why this church is growing. That's why God's using this place. My heart. So I just want to see people. If you're not saved, I want to see your life more. I'm tired of seeing the devil and sin destroy people's lives. I've had to watch the devil destroy marriages, destroy families, destroy relationships. Grown kids can't even interact with their grown parents because their parents are just living like idiots, bound up by sin. They can't even bring their grandchildren around them because they're just bound up in sinfulness. You don't have to be like that. There's a Jesus that can save you change your life he's wonderful so with every head bowed and every eye closed if you are in this place today and you say Pastor Chris you have preached to me God set me up and I'm here today because God is dealing with my heart it's one of the two of these y'all. either I'm just a sinner I've never gotten saved or pastor I'm the backslider I'm like Israel. I used to serve Jesus. I used to serve God. I used to be on fire for God. Matter of fact, Pastor, you've known it. You've seen me when I was fired up, but I've gone back into sin and I'm away from God. But today I want to get saved or I want to get right with God. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Just raise your hand. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, sir. Thank you for being honest. I'm just going to take my time. You can put your hand down. Anybody else? Anybody else just say, Pastor, this God set me up today. I'm just blocking these lights so I can see. Is there anybody else? Huh? Where at? Over here to the side. God bless you, sir. I see you there in the back. Thank you. You can put your hand down. I see you. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I see you in the back. Or, sir, I can't see. That's a man in it. Thank you, sir. You can, Thank you. I see you in the back. Couldn't see you. I just saw a hand. Wow. Anybody else? Huh? Four people saying, listen to me. I didn't say just, I didn't, I didn't tell you I was going to pray for you. I asked you if you wanted to get saved. So you raised your hand and said you want to get saved. So we're going to do for you what we did for that young lady in the first service. We're going to help you. We love to help people. So church, you ready? We're going to pray the sinner's prayer with these folks. And for those four of you who raised your hand and listen to me, if you'll pray this prayer, I know we're all saying it, but we're saved already. But you say it and you mean it. You talk to God when you say it, and you have faith in what Jesus did, and you just lean on the grace of God. Grace is a gift. So just imagine me reaching in my pocket and pulling out a, a check for a million dollars and say, here, you just take the gift from him. 
The gift, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Just take it and just have faith. And the Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. And whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I'm telling you what the word of the Lord says. If you'll pray this prayer with, with conviction and mean it and say, God, I'm going to turn from my sins and I'm leaving here today right with you. You will leave here today right with God. Hallelujah. So you ready? Everybody pray. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner and I'm so sorry for my sins. I don't want to be like this anymore. I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for me and rose again. He took the punishment for my sins. I don't have to be punished if I just trust him. So please forgive me. Wash me. Cleanse me. Come into my heart. I take you now as my Savior and Lord. Come on, say it, y'all. I take you now as my Savior and Lord. And I turn from my sins. And I'm going to live for you all the days of my life. Now say it. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Come on, say it again. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Come on, say this. Say, I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. And I know that I am. In Jesus' name, amen. Every head up, every eye open, and the church needs to celebrate right now. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.